So I'm going to need a little bit of all church participation this morning. Can we do that? Give me an oh yeah if we can do that. All right. And you guys are, you guys are here. You showed up ready, ready to learn, ready to participate today. So suppose one of your passions in life is photography. And you're currently on the market uh, for a brand new tripod for your camera. All right, you've heard through the grapevine that your local camera shop has a great deal, a deal that you can't pass up on one of the top of the line tripods. I mean, this particular tripod, it's waterproof. Um, it, it can fold up to fit in even the smallest of bags. It's really lightweight. And the best news is that this particular tripod is on sale for one third its normal price. I mean, this is, this is a good deal. Now the catch is it's, there's only one and it's not going to last long. So if you're into photography or hypothetically, if that was your passion, would you be interested in this deal? Give me an, Oh yeah. If that would be you. All right. So we've established that's, that's a pretty good deal, right? Especially if you're on the market for one, you're excited about the deal. So you decide to get in your car and you drive to the local camera shop. And when you arrive, it's just as advertised. You see the tripod sitting there uh, from a distance. The price is exactly what they said. As you get closer, though, you realize there's a problem. This particular tripod uh, only has two legs. All right, it's missing a leg. So the camera shop is trying to, to pull a fast one on you. You, know, you do the math as you get closer, and you realize that, okay, this explains the low price. All right, it explains the lightweight and how it's able to fold up and fit, you know, in even the smallest of bags. So the question is, would you, would you still be interested or would you say, you know, I, I don't think that's for me. I'd rather hold out. I'd rather wait until I could afford a three-legged tripod. You know, I think unless you're mixer, uh, Mr. Fix-It, most of us would probably hold out. We'd probably wait until we could afford the whole thing. I mean, who, who would want to settle for two-thirds of anything Especially if you could have the whole, whether it's a, a tripod or a box of pizza. You know, I wouldn't want to settle for that. You know, but sadly, this is how many Christians go through life. If I were to ask the average Christian to answer this question, who is God the Father? I would typically get a, a response. If I were to ask the question, who is God the Son? You know, there's usually not a lot of hesitation with this question. But if I were to ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Many Christians would be at a loss for words. And in fact, I've found over the years that this is often an uncomfortable question for a lot of people. You know, the takeaway from asking these types of questions is not to put anyone on the spot or to try to figure out how biblically literate they are. See, what I've seen over the years is that many Christians go through life settling for a two-thirds God. Many people understand that they have a heavenly father who deeply loves them and that God the Son, Jesus, died for them, but that God the Holy Spirit, he's, he's often overlooked. You know, we wouldn't make this mistake with a tripod. We wouldn't make this mistake with a box of pizza. And we certainly don't want to make this mistake with the Trinity. God's word refers to the Holy Spirit more than 100 times. In fact, Jesus talks more about the Holy Spirit than he does discipleship, the church, and even marriage. So after being raised from death and before ascending into heaven, we read these words of Jesus at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Acts chapter 1 with me. We'll also have the words on the screen. It says, once while Jesus was eating with the apostles, he commanded them, 
Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And Jesus replies here, he says, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And then verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Just imagine for a moment all of the promises that Jesus could have told his disciples, all of the promises that he could have given them. You know, he didn't promise instant success for whatever they would do. He didn't promise the absence of trials and problems in their life. In fact, last week we learned it's kind of the opposite of that. He didn't promise wealth or popularity in their faith. In fact, um, as Jesus became more well-known, a lot of people who were following him stopped following him because they didn't want to be associated with that kind of press. What Jesus did promise was that they would receive power and that they would receive power through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And in saying this, Jesus was sharing a very important truth. So if you're taking notes, the first truth that we're going to talk about today is this, that the Holy Spirit is central to the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit is central to the life of the believer. You know, if Jesus would have stayed on earth, his physical presence would have limited the spread of the gospel. That's because physically, Jesus could only be in one place at a time. So after ascending into heaven, he would would be spiritually present everywhere through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of every single believer. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was and is given to all believers, giving us the push that we need to face the storms of life, giving us the push that, that we need to be an effective witness for Jesus, giving us the push that we need to be able to mature in our faith. You know, it reminds me, when I was uh, in middle school, this is, this is 18 years ago now, so I was about 75 pounds lighter, and I had a six-pack back then, if you can just imagine. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm actually I'm going to share a little secret with you this morning. I still have a six-pack. It's just uh, cleverly hidden under some other things. Some of us are in the same boat this morning. So I went out for my junior high wrestling team about 18 years ago. It's crazy to think that's how long ago it was. And I'd wrestled for two seasons prior to that in my elementary school. So I thought, you know, going to junior high, this was going to be a breeze. All right, there's going to be nothing to it. Man, was I wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. And I'm sure I'm remembering it a lot worse than it, than it really was. But our coach at the time, his name was Coach Hazlip. He reminded me a lot of the, uh, the army drill sergeants that you see depicted in movies. All right, that was, that was Coach Hazlip to a T. You know, from day one, you showed up fat and out of shape, and his favorite form of torture for all the students was, you know, suicide sprints, uh, mile-long runs, and then he would have us hold a push-up position until someone either threw up or he told us it was time to go home. I'm not kidding about that. Times were a little different then. <laughs> 
You know, these two to three hour long workouts that, that we would have, they, they would get easier as time went on. But for those first few weeks and into that first month, man, they were hard. And that's where this, this other student comes in. His name's Austin Ellis. And I've, I've shared a little bit about Austin's story with you in the past. Austin was a great ahead of me. He was the kind of guy who never cut corners in practice. He just didn't. And in fact, he was always motivating and encouraging the other guys, especially when practice was hard. And sadly, you know, this, this wasn't the cool thing to do. So he was made fun of quite a bit. But it didn't seem to bother him. You know, Austin was a Christian. He knew that his identity was rooted in Christ and who God says that, that he is. And he was just out to bring along as many people as he could. And in a way, he pushed others in the right kind of way. He pushed them so that they could succeed at the goal. You know, in a similar and much greater way, a much greater way, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit promises to do in each of our lives. We know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He marks the beginning of our new life in Christ, and he gives us the push that we need to live the life that God has created us to live. So today, what I want to do with the rest of our time is just briefly break down the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, we're going to look at, at this topic like we're flying in a plane 30,000 feet up. There's so many uh, different topics and ways we could go so much deeper with this. Um, but we're going to just give a, a broad overview this morning and one that's going to help us claim a, an important promise in our lives today. So I want to do this by using the acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H. And this acronym comes from today's promise. So if you're taking notes, if you want to write this down, you can. Today's promise is this, that the Holy Spirit gives us power, unity, supervision, and holiness. The Holy Spirit gives us power, unity, supervision, and holiness. And again, this acronym and this promise, they're just um, simple ways for us to learn about how and why the Holy Spirit is central to the life of the believer. So if you're taking notes, the first letter is P. And if you want to write in a word, that word is power. The Bible promises that the Holy Spirit uh, brings power to the life of the believer. In Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, we just read this. It says, but you will receive, and what's the word? Uh, we can do better than that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So uh, for as much as three years, these early disciples, they had a front row seat in witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through the life of Jesus. And although they didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying at this point in time, they would soon learn that God was asking them to partner with him in reaching the world with the good news of Jesus. You know, God's word tells us that in Christ, we get to partner with God in what he's already doing to rescue the world that he loves. And I think it's important that we understand that. We don't miss that. We get to partner with God in what he's already doing. I've made the mistake in the past of looking at a text like this and thinking, okay, it's all up to me. We get to play a role in God's story. We get to play a part in partnering with him, uh, being uh, co-workers, co-laborers to advance the gospel. 
As Christians, that's, that's the role God's given us. We are Christ's ambassadors. We have the privilege, but also the responsibility of representing Jesus to the rest of the world. But sadly, you know, I fear that many Christians have forgotten this responsibility altogether. Hear this out this morning, church. I fear that, that many people are going through life as an ineffective witness for Jesus. Many people are going through life as an ineffective witness for Jesus because they're relying on their own strength. They're relying on their own power and not the power that the Holy Spirit promises to us. You know, there are reasons that Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait until God the Father sent the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. If they were to be sent out on their own, in their own strength and in their own power, they would have been ineffective in advancing the gospel. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would receive God's strength. They would receive his boldness and his courage in sharing the good news of Jesus. And the same is true in our lives today. We're, we're going to be ineffective if we're trying to live our lives by our own strength and by our own power. You know, Christians are told to go into all, all the world, making disciples of all nations. There, there's actually only one command in the Great Commission, and that is to make disciples. This word go, when it says, Christians, you are to go into all of the world, the Greek word for this literally means as you are going. There's kind of this, this expectation that as Christians, we're already going to be going. <laughs> we're already going to be on mission. As Jesus says, as you are going, remember to make Jesus famous. As you are going, remember to bring others along with you. You know, we live in a city that is roughly, it's estimated to be 80% unchurched. 80%. If you were to live on a street that had 10 houses on it, statistically, eight of those 10 houses would be unchurched in this area. Yet we, we have churches on every corner. And again, I fear that, that so many Christians are being ineffective because we're not relying on the power that the Holy Spirit promises to have God's courage, to have his boldness, to have that strength. The only way that people are going to hear about the good news of Jesus is, is through you. You know, it's not just a sermon on Sunday morning, and, and that can be part of it for sure, inviting people to church. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. But, but individually, that's the, the mission that you get to partner with God in, and it's a beautiful one. As we walk with Jesus in our daily lives, you know, we should purposefully look for ways to help others walk along with us. And we can't be effective in our witness for Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So to be an effective witness, there's a couple things I want to challenge you with this morning for this first point. And it all starts with prayer. The first is this. I want you to pray to have a renewed or a deep conviction for the lost. I want you to go before God and pray that you would have his heart for people. Have, have a heart for the lost in our community. And then I want you to pray for courage and pray for boldness in your faith. That boldness and that courage isn't going to come from anywhere else except through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray for God's wisdom and for the right words when sharing Christ with others. You know, I hear time and time again, it's just really hard for me to share Jesus because I'm nervous or I'm shy. I don't have the right words to say. 
And thankfully, there's a promise that goes with that that we're going to talk about later in the message, and that is that God will give you the words to say. It's not on you. I want you to pray for the kind of effectiveness that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then ask that God would help turn your prayers into action. You know, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person's life when they believe in Jesus and are baptized into Christ. We read that in Ephesians 1 and Acts chapter 2. It's very clear. And from that point forward, the believer has access to the Holy Spirit's power in their life. So that question today, are you living by his power? Are you an effective witness for Christ? And this is where it's pretty difficult for me, but I tend to kind of look back at the previous year and I think about, you know, how many conversations did I have with, with non-believers about Christ? How many people did I invite to, to church last year? And it starts to get pretty personal when you ask those questions. It gets, it gets real. But those are ways we can gauge our effectiveness uh, for Christ. I tend to look at my family. How have we grown over the past year? The Holy Spirit promises power to the believer. The second letter is... Uh, the letter U, and that's going to be the word unity. And that the Bible tells us, promises that the Holy Spirit brings unity to God's people. You know, when we live our lives by our own strength and power, there's going to be a lack of unity. And we're, we're not going to be able to be used by God in the ways that he wants to use us. You know, I believe today that God has gifted every believer so that his church would be empowered to do the work that it was intended to do. I imagine the church working a lot like a, a symphony orchestra. I've, I've never been to the orchestra, but I'm really excited because in a couple of weeks, I get to take my beautiful bride, actually she's taking me, uh, to Chicago, and we're going to go to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. That was my, my Christmas present this year from her, and I'm just so excited about this. And I've learned a little bit about orchestras over the past uh, few weeks, just doing a little bit of research. So if we have some pros in the audience today, you can you know, correct me where I'm wrong. But I recently learned that a modern orchestra can have over 500 members, and, and at one time there can be 100 people uh, playing alongside one another. And what's amazing to me is that every person has their own instrument. And every person is needed to make the desired sound. Can you think about going to the orchestra? If one section of the orchestra just decided that day, I don't think we're going to participate today. Especially, we, we paid the money, we have the tickets, we've made this whole plan, and, and you go, and then like one whole section is just sitting on the sidelines not doing anything. See, every person has their own instrument and every person is needed. And it's the same in the local church. Every person and every gift is needed. Individually, you you are needed to make that difference, to be used by God, to, to reach people with the gospel. And the avenue that God uses through your life is through the gifts that he's, he's given you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 20, the Apostle Paul writes these words, a wonderful text, a wonderful passage. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. 
And we all share the same spirit. And he goes on to say, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? See, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But see, our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yet there are many parts, but only one body. The Holy Spirit knows each and every believer. And he knows how every person has been uniquely gifted. Every believer has been gifted to meet the needs of the the local church. I personally believe that God is so intimately involved in our lives that he even distributes gifts according to the church's need in a particular region or season. I, I, I believe that. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I believe that you are here for a reason. I believe that you are here for a reason. And when we all begin to play our part, using our gifts in the way God has intended, the result is unity. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. This is an interesting thing about unity and that Christians are never told to create unity. We have to understand this. Christians are never told to create unity. Instead, we're told to keep or preserve the unity that the Holy Spirit provides. And one of the ways that we do this is by each person using their individual gifts in the way that God has intended. You see, because of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives, We should also be purposeful about getting rid of any excuse that we might have for not wanting to to get plugged in, to get involved, to be used by God in and through the local church. If you are a follower of Jesus, there really should be no excuse for, for you to be involved in some way. There should also be no excuse for why we couldn't serve alongside another person in the church. You know, over the in the years past, I've heard countless excuses like, you know, I just don't think that there's a place for me to serve or, you know, I'm kind of shy and, and I don't like being around people or, or this one. And this is the one that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Every time I hear it, I just can't serve alongside that person. Maybe you've said it or, or you've, you've thought it. And you, you want to know my response to these comments. It's this, you might not be able to, but the Holy Spirit can. You might not be able to, but the Holy Spirit can. You know, fellowship within the church walls is not always easy. Can I get an oh yeah? Fellowship within the church walls is not always easy. Authentic biblical community is not always easy. But unity is always possible. Always. For the church to function any other way would be for us to say, either directly or indirectly, that we we don't believe the Holy Spirit can do what he wants to do. Anytime we do experience unity in the church, and I think it's far more often than, than we don't experience it, but when we, anytime we experience unity in the church, 
where we're growing together, serving alongside one another, I believe that the glory should 100% go to God. Amen? And the other side of that coin is this, that anytime we experience conflict in the church or disunity in the church, we should seek God's will and God's direction through prayer. Amen? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit brings unity to God's people. The third letter is the letter S. And this is going to be the word supervision. Supervision. The Bible doesn't really use this word, but you'll see where I'm going with this. And and I, I believe the Bible makes a very strong case that the Holy Spirit supervises the church. The Holy Spirit supervises the church. So if you were to ask a supervisor what his or her job entails, you could probably take the answers down and, and describe it this way, that a supervisor keeps things running. That's what a supervisor does. They, they keep things running. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing, but in so much more, in a much greater way. He does this in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. So here's just a few scriptural examples of how the Holy Spirit supervises the life of the church. And I've had to shrink it down quite a bit. I don't expect you to write these things down this morning. I just want to read them for you. I want you to hear this, what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit gives us strength for extraordinary tasks. He helps us speak for Christ. He gives you a change of heart. That doesn't happen on your own. (laughs) He helps you understand God's word. He teaches you. He brings deep and lasting peace into our lives. He convicts the world of sin. He gives us opportunities for sharing Christ with others. The Bible says he gives us power for living the Christian life. The Holy Spirit even helps us pray. He helps us know God's will. He produces godly character in our lives. He's our guarantee of eternal life. He brings unity to believers. He helps us discern false teaching. He's available to all who believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our our counselor and our helper. He promises to have an active and ongoing role in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit supervises the church. He, He keeps things running. The fourth and final letter that we're going to talk about today is the letter H. And that is the word holiness. Holiness. God's word tells us that the Holy Spirit makes us holy. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read these words. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So when a person commits their life to Christ, it's common for them to feel pulled back to their old ways. This is pretty common. But Peter encourages all believers, young and old, new and mature, to be like God in everything that we do. It's important to understand that holiness is not perfection. You know, some of you are hearing that word holiness. You can go ahead and, you know, wipe the sweat off your forehead. It's not perfection. None of us are perfect, and none of us are going to be perfect in this life. Holiness literally means set apart. Let's say that together on the count of three. One, 
two, three. Set apart. That, that's what holiness means. See, God is holy. He's set apart from all of his creation. And because of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our lives, we too are called to live a life that is set apart. That means that we find our identity and our value in who God says that we are. It means that we, we purposely change the direction of our thoughts and actions to, to be completely in line with God's design for how he's called us to live. Being set apart means to be completely obedient to God's word and to be obedient to his leading in our life. See, to be set apart is to be totally devoted or dedicated to God. Set apart, it means to go where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do, and to say what he wants us to say. I believe there are people in this room today that God has been knocking at the door of your heart for a long time to, to go to this place, or to talk with this person, or to be involved in this ministry. And he's just waiting for you to open the door to live that life that is holy and set apart, to be the person that he's called you to be. See, a person who is set apart, they don't blend in with the rest of the crowd. They're different. Not different for the sake of being different, but different because of the characteristics that the Holy Spirit is growing in their life. You know, when we read the Bible, we, we're, we, get, we see the truth. It's pretty clear that we, we can't live a set-apart life on our own, a holy life on our own. In fact, there was a group of Christians who tried to do this, and the Apostle Paul called them out for it. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul calls out the Galatian Christians for trying to live life in their own power and in their own strength. Listen to what he says. He says, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is that, that legalism. Instead, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live a holy life, a, a life that is set apart to be used by God for his glory and for the good of others. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you the push that you need to, to live your life effectively for Jesus, to be a kingdom worker. And today's promise is that the Holy Spirit gives us power, unity, supervision, and holiness. Church, this is a promise that we can build our lives on. Amen? We can build our lives on this promise. God wants to lead you down the right path where, where you're living life through the power of the Holy Spirit, living in unity with God's people, living under the supervision of the Holy Spirit, and living a life that is set apart to be used by God, to go where he wants you to go, to say what he wants you to say, to do what he wants you to do. So a couple of questions in closing today as we wrap up this series, Stand Firm. The first is this. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you placed your trust and your faith in Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? If you would say today definitively that you have not done that, we would love to meet with you after the service today. We'd love to go through God's word and show you God's plan of salvation, how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. The second question is this, and I think this is probably a little bit more broad for, for the whole church today. Is there anything in your life that needs to be removed today 
so that God can have his way in your life? Is there anything in your life that needs to be removed today so that God can have his way in your life? Is, is there unforgiveness in your life towards someone else that's preventing you to be used by God in the way that he wants to use you? Are you harboring hatred towards another person in this season? Are you feeding your own desires instead of feeding your faith with the truth of God's word? I think sometimes it's easy to go through life and we start to fill our own desires, our own wants, our own needs, and we neglect the faith. We neglect God's calling on our lives. If you would say yes to any of these things, I just want to encourage you to use this time that we have this morning as an opportunity to give these things to God. Here in just a moment, our worship team is going to come back up. We're going to worship collectively as the church, but it's also a time for you to go to God individually and to be honest. Say, God, here, here's what's going on in my life right now. I think these are some things that are, are keeping my life from being used by you in a greater way. If you have anything that is standing in the way of God getting a hold of your life, today is the time to ask him to help you remove that. And to respond, you know, God, here I am. Send me. Whatever it is that you would have me do, here I am. I, I will go. I will be the effective witness that you've created me to be. The Holy Spirit gives us power. He gives us unity. He supervises our lives and the, and the life of the church. He keeps things running. And he makes us holy. Let's stand firm on that promise as a church. Let's build our lives on that promise.